0: Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Don Donahoe and Louis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Ann and Lewis are speaking with Herschel Gerson, CEO and Managing Director at Ello Capital, a new investment bank serving the cannabis industry. LO Capital is a boutique investment bank providing M&A, capital raising, and strategic advisory services grounded in integrity, transparency, and credibility to companies and investors navigating cannabis, hemp, and impacted industries. The cannabis industry is going through a massive cash crunch impacting all components of the supply chain, and LO Capital Herschel and his team are sitting right there in the middle, providing access to funding, consulting, and M&A advisory work. If you're truly interested in the business of cannabis and how this industry gets funding, then this is the episode for you. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now into our conversation with Herschel and N. Lewis.
1: Herschel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. We know how busy you are.
2: Thank you, Louis. Uh, I'm very excited about being here and talking to you, and wanted to uh, reiterate as well uh, that uh, we appreciate uh, you asking us to be on. All
1: right, let's let's jump right into it. I'm not going to start off with the softball to let you get warmed up. I'm going right at you. Okay. Um, LO Capital is a new investment bank, or a broker-dealer focused on the cannabis industry. You guys just released a new liquidity analysis of the public cannabis companies, and the outlook looks pretty grim for a few of the MSO and other players. So what, what the hell happened? What's going on in this space?
2: Yeah, so, you know, as as we looked at the cannabis universe uh, and people going out public, the real liquidity and investor universe that was funding the growth and expansion in cannabis was primarily the Canadian retail investor for a very long uh, time. And as people were looking at the opportunity, uh, valuations uh, you know, were at levels that potentially weren't sustainable given the prospects of the industry. And I think we all agree that the industry wasn't gonna grow uh, linearly, uh, that there would be potentially uh, fits and starts and and some uh, variation to that to that curve, and as a result of some regulatory issues and potentially a, a, a delay in the uh, ability to go out to the market uh, aggressively the growth that was expected didn't occur at the rate at which the uh, companies initially uh, projected. As a result, there was a reset in valuations and there was a decline in the market, uh, which uh, we're all seeing, there's about a 50% sell-off in the market, which really we haven't, we've only seen a sell-off of that magnitude, potentially two times, one was the dot-com bubble and and the Great Recession, where a market fell off that dramatically in a six-month period. As a result of that, the capital markets weren't as available to all these companies in order to uh, continue on their uh, growth uh, strategic initiatives. So what ultimately happened was the strategies that a lot of these companies took on was a shotgun Approach where they would go into multiple states, try to build uh, a monopoly or, or, or market share in those states, and then um, you know, to be take advantage of being a first mover. Unfortunately, that's a very capital-intensive strategy, yeah. and as capital dried up, they can no longer sustain that strategy going forward, and really needed to start operating to profitability and cash flow positive uh, mm-hmm. operation.
1: Do you think that the management teams of the companies that went public on that rush to get onto the CSE or the the NEO or the OTC underestimated what their capital requirements were going to be? They didn't realize that if you have licenses in 10 states that you were going to need hundreds of millions of dollars to build out these portfolios? Or did they just assume that the, the cash spigot would be open and the access to low-cost capital would just never end?
2: I think it was more of the latter where they just thought that the availability of capital would be there for duration and could fund their operations. Uh, And potentially they didn't uh, quite understand the magnitude of capital necessary to go into a new state. Given, Given the lack of interstate commerce, you have to essentially build an entire new infrastructure in every state you go into. That means cultivation, distribution, and retail. Uh, And a lot of those states, it's potentially difficult to get people to invest in cultivation because they're concerned about interstate. Uh, So there's a lot of dynamics in play that did require each company to uh, essentially invest in that full infrastructure in each of those states. And that's a very, very capital intensive uh, strategy. And I just didn't, I don't think that they believed that they would be cut off from capital uh, so severely, so quickly uh, as we've seen.
3: Herschel, I think what was so impactful about this study is that you name names. Um, and I have a couple of questions. What was the methodology used for developing this data? It's, I think it's all, all public information. Um, and were you concerned about um, pissing anyone off?
2: Good question, good question. So all the information is public. So essentially, all we did was we looked at the last quarter, uh, looked at the uh, cash flow from operations and their CapEx to estimate, uh, essentially, because most of them, it's negative when you put those two together, their burn rate, and looking at their cash on the balance sheet and saying, look, if you're going to continue at this rate, how long or how much cash do you have to sustain the business? Assuming that there's no liquidity really available in the market, you know, how are we going to solve for this situation? Now, there's a few ways to solve for it, and I'm not saying that any of these companies can't uh, solve for it in, in in any of these ways, right? One, you can shut off your CapEx. You can essentially say, look, we're going to take the assets we have in the ground today. We're going to maximize cash flow from, from them until such time. Uh, that the capital markets open up and we can get new capital in the door. Uh, the other uh, mechanism is the, the, the investors that are currently in there can continue to equitize uh, the business. The other area that could be hugely beneficial and sustain the business is obviously QADE for the federal and state governments to give some, to to take some pressure off the industry by either descheduling uh cannabis uh, on the federal level or the states rolling back or giving some breathing room related to sales taxes within the system so there's a lot of mechanisms here um external to the uh, in the regulatory environment external to these each of these companies and then also things within the control of the companies in order to solve for this problem
3: i have a question that goes that that kind of just made me think of this um and I don't know if if you know the answer, but if 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 it was if cannabis was to be D de- or rescheduled, is that an automatic trigger for 280E to go away, or are there other factor, or are there other things that need to happen to make it go away?
2: So my understanding and talking to, um, to, to to lawyers and other people that are more fluent in this matter is that 280 is applicable to schedule one and schedule two drugs it was put in place and in in, during the reagan era with the uh war against drugs in order to uh, in order to put some more pressure on essentially drug runners to essentially say yeah, Look, cocaine gonna...
1: specifically it was yeah. really cocaine
2: correct so uh, you know if we catch you we're going to be able to hit you with substantial back taxes uh, and, you know, for all of Tetris, the Bursa, Al Capone um, uh, kind of scenario where we're going to hit you on back taxes and uh, essentially be able to uh, put some pressure on you there. Uh, it, and mar- marijuana was included in that as a Schedule 1. If it gets de- reschedulized uh, to uh, Schedule 3, then uh, 280 is no longer applicable. My understanding is 280 is Schedule 1 and 2.
1: Your liquidity analysis got a lot of media attention. It was in Barrons, it was in Business Week, um, Market Watch, and and all over. What has the impact or the the feedback that you've gotten from the industry been? Or, you know, oh Anne wait, asked, uh,
3: yeah. And did they, they Anne, did you piss anybody yeah. off?
1: <laughs> right. Well, that's where I was going. Like, <laughs> Ann asked, "Did you piss? Who who did you piss off, and how did you make amends?"
2: Well, I'm not going to speak to any specific names, but I did get <laughs> a few inbound calls uh, from some CEOs asking me, uh, you know, why in the world would you put this out there? Um, we had some look. Uh, yes, <laughs> and and my message back was to I, I'm not making any. Um, <clears throat> i'm not treating anybody differently i'm not making any assertions as to what your solution is for this issue anybody who looks at tap iq or any kind of uh, market data machine is going to come out with the same analysis what i'm so we're trying to be insightful to the industry and stewards of the industry and we're here to help you relative to this dynamic in addition, I'm 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 all for this industry. Um, you know, I I came into it not only from a opportunistic standpoint, but believe that there is a lot of um, altruistic reasons related to uh, medical applications, social justice, and sustainability. Where, you know, it, it's very exciting uh, for me, and I. What I like to say, I'm I'm probably the most left-leaning uh, investment banker on the street today. Um, but, you know. I'm an advocate also for the federal government to de give us some breathing room on 280E, and for the state and local municipalities also, they, they need to give some um, ability for these companies to operate uh, like any other industry, and given that there's all this altruistic uh, components to the industry, they should be supportive uh, for us and you know give us an environment that's sustainable. Uh, so that we can you know build something that uh you know for all intents and purposes we all believe in and, and think that it it goes beyond just a uh you know recreational purpose um product
1: let us take a step back um because we really haven't talked about who you are who l o capital is um you know the 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 u s Cannabis industry has been sorely underbanked by investment banks. So, how did L.O. Capital come about? What do you guys do? Um, Who are your clients? Why are we talking to you? (laughs) (laughs) We're doing this whole answer.
2: Getting right at it. Yeah, you know, I I
1: told you no easy questions here. But you know what? Answer it how you want. But the truth is, you know. There is, a, there is a crying <laughs> need for investment banking. So who, who, who are you?
2: <laughs> so I appreciate that. Uh, I'm a bald guy with uh, <laughs> you know, a lovely wife and uh, two kids at home uh, that started an investment bank with, uh, with a one-month-old at home. So uh, you can imagine it's been quite the journey. No, um, and, and I should say, since it's Valentine's, uh, I love you, honey. Uh, Holly, you know, can't wait to have dinner with you tonight.
1: Aww. He's, she's not going to hear this tonight, but that was really sweet.
2: But you know, so look, I um, I've been a CPG banker uh, on the street for a very long time. I have over 15 years. I was at Credit Suisse, BNP. Uh, and Macquarie Capital most recently. And spending a lot of time in consumer and CPG, I started off uh, in health and wellness and uh, really gravitated some of the uh, disruption that's going on in there with uh, better food ingredients, uh, cleaner ingredients, you know, less uh, ingredients, less preservatives and so forth. And it just so happens uh, my wife uh, is a cancer survivor uh, in addition to being a nutritionist, and was uh, as an exercise physiologist, so she really made me aware of a lot of the um, issues going into the food supply, whether it be uh, commercial farming, uh, glyphosate, uh, and so forth, and and you know starting me off on a paleo diet and and so forth. And I've seen uh, just myself, and and speaking to her, and understanding the science that there's a lot of things uh, that potentially we're not doing great in our uh, in our food supply, and, and that was one of the reasons I got into the health and wellness trend and really try to support uh, companies that were growing in that industry. As part of that, you know, I started getting um, more exposure into cannabis and also started uh, seeing a lot of executives that had long relationships with uh, getting into the industry. So a gentleman by the name of uh, Bill Toller was is a, is a mentor of mine. I've uh, known him for over 15 years. While he's CEO at Advanced Pure Foods as well as Hostess, a guy that I really respect, uh, got into the industry. He is now the CEO of uh, Hydrofarm, which is a um, mm-hmm. distributor of hyd- hydroponic equipment and nutrients uh, into the space and. And other executives that I had a uh, growing uh, or had appreciation for were also getting into the space. So I was looking at different ways uh, for myself to get into the space because not only was it a great opportunity, but I really felt uh, strongly about the social uh, justice uh, issues uh, surrounding uh, cannabis. Uh, you know, as we all know, um, usage rates are the same, however, uh, incarceration rates are significantly higher uh, related to minorities um, related to the drug. Uh, in addition, uh, as I mentioned, my wife's a, a cancer uh, survivor and was hearing a lot of stories about families whose uh, loved ones uh, were going through hospice and had two different loved ones. One was on an opiate and another one uh, was, on, was using cannabis to help mitigate some of the effects of their cancer treatment. And just the interaction with their families uh, was way more productive and and uh, fulsome when they were using cannabis versus their other family members who were using opiates and really couldn't connect uh, to their families, uh, given the nature and how that drug a- affects you. So, from those two aspects, you know, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly in the industry and then, um, you know, when I joined this platform, there was a gentleman, Evan Enneman, who uh, I attribute a lot to um, helping me understand the industry. And
1: Evan is a friend of ours and the podcast,
2: so we, we
1: everybody knows Evan.
2: Yes. Yeah, so he uh, He's obviously a, a thought leader in the space and really thought I could uh, leverage his understanding and really um, informed me, and a lot of my appreciation comes from him. Uh, into the sustainability factor. So we're actually talking to a company today uh, that's uh, pushing forward on hempcrete. So they're using hemp in order to uh, as a building uh, material that essentially doesn't burn uh, and also helps with uh, humidity factors. So it helps with your HVAC system and brings down electricity costs. Uh, So it's fire retardant and it has these Uh, attributes that help with uh, electricity. So there's a lot of applications here uh, for the industry uh, in in addition to pharma. There's uh, people that we know uh, that have epilepsy and using the drug uh, to treat their epilepsy uh, that they weren't able to treat with uh, drugs that are available uh, through prescriptions today. So look, what, what better industry could you get into where there's a huge market opportunity and has all these altruistic uh, attributes? So, and then, yeah, so then uh, it was okay. about once I decided I want to get into the industry, then it was where to get in and how to do it. Was it going to be corporate or through an investment bank? And, you know, I decided to join MGO and LO for one reason was Evan Aneman, uh who obviously was a founding partner at Casa Verde, a thought leader in a space and really somebody Market, And in addition to uh, my our parent company, MGO is a financial services top 50 accounting firm that's been in the cannabis space for over five years, touches over 400 different cannabis companies and provides a full range of financial services. So, again, a lot of connectivity and ability to provide a full spectrum differentiated uh, product set to our customers uh, that is really, you know, doesn't exist today on the street. So all that information is we, are, we have 100 professionals today dedicated to the cannabis space. We provide a broad set of services across audit, tax, uh, uh, technology, real estate, staffing. Uh, we have an agency to help incubate brands. Uh, And then within the investment bank, we have over 17 professionals and offices in L.A. and New York. So I can safely say that we are the largest financial services platform dedicated to cannabis, uh, hemp, CBD and impacted industries.
3: The cannabis industry has been built by um, a mix of pirates and and pioneers. And uh, as our uh, friend and client Troy Dayton from Arcview has said, the pioneers get slaughtered and the settlers thrive. Uh, and among the current crop of companies that you look at, who do you think is going to thrive and who do you think is going to get slaughtered? And if you don't want to name names, can you give us some general guidelines on, although you don't seem to have a problem with that, but can you give us some general guidelines, guidelines on how to evaluate long-term prospects of, of these companies?
2: Let's be clear, I, I named the top 75, the top in companies in the space with that had a market cap of $75 million and above. So I didn't cherry pick any days when I to buy a it, it was Noted. a full spectrum of names uh, relative to market cap. And we cut it off at 75 because, you know, it, we had to cut it off somewhere. And we felt we did a, a broad enough. Uh, canvassing of the universe that that was the most interesting and and a good uh, data set so who's going to survive and who's not going to survive look I think today the the best strategy most relevant strategy in a capital uh, uh, environment that's not uh, as liquid as uh, we had before is a single-state uh, get some depth density get a cluster get some economies of scale related to all the infrastructure. We talked about and try to uh, You know get a large market share and and operate profitably and then and then go out from that base of uh, investment um, And cash flow and there's been some end, some companies uh, that have gone with that strategy I think they're going to ultimately uh, be the leaders as we go into these, this next what I would call 2.0 uh, of cannabis where there's a change over in the management team. Some of the early pioneers who potentially were getting in from a much more uh, financial uh, aspect. So I think there's potentially some players in there going around and saying, hey, I can acquire 10 assets for call it 5x revenue and I know the public markets so give me 10x revenue i can just play this arbitrage and i'll take my chips off the table and i'll make my money and say la vie <laughs> um, and some of that was going on and you know that's not that's that's a basically a strategy of who's got the chair you know musical chairs and you know <laughs> the guy with the who's in the chair last you know he's going to you know not do so well so <laughs> Uh, and you saw some of that so now what needs to happen in 2.0 is again we hope the federal government gives us some uh breathing room and then two like real operators are going to come into the space that have been operating in other industries i mean ultimately you know selling cannabis while there's some regulatory differences it's not too much different from selling a twinkie you know there's <laughs> twinkies have wheat you know you have a manufacturer that puts here. You know, that's exactly. Yeah, and infused
1: Twinkie sounds like the greatest thing It ever. does
3: sound delicious, right? Someone get on that. Or a, a ring ding
1: or a ho-ho. Give me a devil dog. An infused devil dog Right. I'm good all day. <laughs>
2: You know, you get some wheat, you process the wheat, it comes into an edible, uh, the edible is packaged in a manufacturing facility, uh, it goes to a distributor, with Cisco, Unify, whatever, it goes to convenience, it's sold through a uh, a retail um, channel, in that, in that respect, convenience, and gets in the consumer's hand, and they eat the Twinkie, I mean, it's, cannabis is no different. I mean, there's cultivation, there's processing, there's a dispensary and so forth. So a lot of the attributes that made people successful in retail uh, are gonna be the same attributes that make uh, people successful in cannabis, but they obviously have the overlay of regulatory that they have to understand. And I think um, some of these more sophisticated operators get it uh, and they're coming into the industry and I look forward to them coming into the industry. Uh, what they're going to be expecting, given when they come out of um, traditional industry, is the ability uh, to have uh, service providers uh, that they uh, are co- have come accustomed to in their traditional uh, industry. So, a lot of what we hear about uh, as we go out to market and, and talk to folks is like, wow, you know, this looks like a real investment banking book. This looks like what we have been accustomed to in the traditional industry and we're so excited to have this type of professional services available to us now in cannabis. So we're very excited uh, about that. We're excited to be on the front end. Um, You know, I don't know how long it's going to last because eventually uh, some of the bigger uh, shops uh, as regulatory approval comes, uh, they'll be able to get into the industry, Uh, but hopefully we're going to create. Enough uh, exposure into the market, enough credibility that we will be the first choice uh, for folks. Uh, it's not that easy. It's really hard to just come into the industry and really understand the nuances. I mean, you know, operating in Massachusetts is way different from operating in Oklahoma and it's way different from operating in California. And each of those states are different markets with way different regulatory regimes and way different. Um, economics so you know that's hard to understand and keep up with without being in the industry uh, on a regular basis and really grasping all the uh, nuances there and and in addition each of those states is different operating a THC from operating CBD and hemp uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, facilities so look it's 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 tough it's tough to keep up with everything and you know in order to be the advisor that we uh, want to be and and give that level of professionalism we really got to you really got to spend all of your time uh, navigating the industry
1: you you've been a banker for decades right i mean this is not your first rodeo um but it is your first rodeo in terms of cannabis what are the 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 things that are completely the same about being an investment banker for cannabis and then um the other side is what is the thing that has so deeply surprised and shocked you that you're like, I never expected X or Y when I was going to start doing investment banking for cannabis companies. Uh,
2: Look, uh, the the thing that's the same is as I uh, alluded to before, I mean, selling cannabis, uh, the infrastructure is not that different from what I experienced in retail and CPG, the Twinkies. Uh, uh example that i gave i
3: really am uh, so- like craving a twinkie right now guys
1: Thanks. <laughs> oh my god are you kidding me i would i would i would murder for a Twinkie right now there's no doubt like, I I I'm had one about in it. literally 20 years
3: it has to be like they're
1: disgusting and they have to tell you they are absolutely sure they're absolutely disgusting gross. i'm sure they don't they, taste anything
3: like, like i remember
1: and your teeth, it's, it's going to be so much sugar. Your teeth are going to be so gritty. But, Herschel, what is the thing that surprised you the most about being a, a, a banker in cannabis?
2: So, uh, one, um, you know, I, what surprised me are the the, the people, that, the advisors that initially got in um, and what they were, the services that they were providing, you know, it's, it's The lack of professionalism or the lack of really uh, providing or going to market with a fundamental analysis uh, surprised me. So it sounded like, you know, people were throwing around money and there was not necessarily a fundamental uh, backdrop to uh, what people were doing in the analysis. And it surprised me as I came into the market and started doing these fundamental analysis, i.e. my liquidity analysis, that... You know this this came out of left field or wasn't uh norm or wasn't expected so so that that really uh surprised me uh significantly The other area that surprised me and and it wasn't as much of a surprise but some area that is really uh needs to develop is the investor universe so uh like we mentioned it was a very much a Canadian investor universe, and that universe. Uh, and one of the reasons it didn't go into the private uh, and private investors really weren't looking at it as much as the valuations were outside a area of normalcy. So, you know, people were telling, you know, saying, I have one quarter of operations, I'm worth 15 times revenue. And they were saying, that's ridiculous. There's no way to buy, but the public markets are selling them. No, that's that's actually reality. But now that the valuations have come down, they're will, more willing to come into the market. So, you know, the lack of that private investor was somewhat um, surprising. And but we're doing a lot of work now to help develop that uh, investor universe and and bring them more into cannabis and get them comfortable with cannabis. And that and the new people coming into cannabis, uh, like a Bill Toller, Justin Dye,
1: Um I'm sorry. <coughs> Bill Toller and Justin Dye are where?
2: Uh, Bill is at Hydrofarm, and uh, Justin Dye is now the CEO of um, Medicine Man.
1: Ah, okay. Technology came out up. of
2: Albertsons right. and Cerberus. Uh, so, you know, as these individuals come in, we expect there to be more interest from the private investor universe. There's still a, a very significant opportunity here. Uh, You know, federal regulation will also help. A state's rights will help them also come into the industry. We're in a place now where the valuations are more uh, relevant to them. And and, and frankly, a big differentiator also that we have is that I have a dedicated capital markets and uh, syndications uh, gentleman, uh, Danny Hurwitz, who all he does 24-7 is go around New York, Denver, Miami, he's going to London, Asia, in order to develop this private investor network uh, so that we have a capital base to help fund the uh, industry going forward for these next generation of operators. And we have developed a database of over a thousand names, and we continue to do that because, look, we have to canvas the whole world to find uh, investors today, given the regulatory, environment that we live in and you know we're going to do that and we're going to put the legwork in uh to to make sure that we have capital to sustain this business going forward until we get some relief from uh from our friends in washington
1: well let's talk about our friends in washington because you know the the, there a lot of the headwinds for this industry come from the regulatory uncertainty of what's going on you've got The federal illegality, you've got this odd melange of different state laws. And then even within states, you've got, you know, local ordinances that can allow or not allow uh, cannabis companies to to sell product or to grow or to process. Um, This November, we're going to see anywhere from six to eight or 10 different states have ballot initiatives or legislative processes coming through. Let's assume for argument's sake that, that one or two big states pass. Like we get New York, New Jersey, and Arizona to, to adopt adult use. What does that mean for the market in general? And what does it mean from a, a capital markets perspective? I mean, do you expect November to have uh, an incredibly positive impact on the ability of companies like yours to go out and raise capital for multi-state operators or other participants, or are we going to need a change at the federal level to to have the spigot open up again?
2: So that's a good question. Uh, I think, Woo-hoo! you know, as more, <laughs> <laughs> as more and more states adopt uh, adult use, obviously we're going to get to a point uh, of a tipping point, right, where they're potentially what we may have, what we may need is 51% of the states, you know, to adopt adult use and then at that point, there's not gonna be any other choice but to go a federal regulatory or state's rights at the minimum. I believe that there's potentially, depending on what happens in November, there's a compromise to be had on abortion and cannabis where their state's rights kind of is applicable to both uh, discussion points or issues. So that, that could Very be a compromise. Yes, <laughs> wonderful, right? Uh, but that might be a compromise that, uh, that comes through, which is applicable to uh, both uh, topics. Um, you know, I think there's uh, there's obviously a lot of strife. I mean, there's my hope uh, is there's a if, if if there is not a change in Washington in November, I think there's going to be too many too many fights still to be had on health care, uh, gun control. That there may not be enough airway for cannabis if we
3: potentially go i hope i'm wrong but that's what i think too
2: if we have a change where we have uh, a, a a democrat that comes into the white house in november uh i think uh gun control and at least healthcare becomes goes off the table because we're we're going to tighten up um obama or the aca or we're going to tighten that up uh, as opposed to having to come into a whole new healthcare regime. Uh, And then I think gun control, look, most of the country wants some sort of universal background check. So I expect that to kind of go through and then we can get some airway to cannabis. Um, But but another contrarian view is that uh, Colorado, uh, they want to maintain um, red, and as a concession to Colorado and the governor that they uh, provide cannabis Uh, there uh, to ensure that that uh, maintains red and gives him some uh, leeway. So, look, it's hard to predict. That guy's got (laughs) it. But but I think, right, so uh, on the hemp and CBD side, we believe that that is going uh, to open up more aggressively as McConnell needs hemp as an alternative crop to tobacco. So he is uh, incentivized to get something happening in movement on the FDA side, such that it is uh, regulated more as a supplement uh, than in pharma and as a result uh, will open up the beverage. And consumable market to CBD, and that and then we'll have a lot more demand, and that'll uh, you know push forward at least a cannabinoid profile in the public market that is widely accepted.
3: How do you see the vaping crisis um, long term for the industry? You know how is it going to affect it? Is it you know are we going to see more fallout or is vaping coming
2: back? So related to vaping, uh, it's a, it's funny because uh, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about this. Obviously, we have uh, you know black market is a big contributor to what what I believe is the issue on vaping, uh, which is ingredients being cut, or used to cut uh, the oils, the uh, the THC oils with vitamin e acetate. Or uh, MCT oil, which is causing problems related to in- inhaling. Uh, so, you know, again, I think a black market is there from a regulatory perspective because sales tax are so much. So, uh, that that would that that's one area to help um, from that perspective. The other issue with 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 vaping is now with with the virus in China. They're shutting down all the factories, and all the cartridges are made in China. So now they're even if they get out of the issue related to um, certification and testing of, of vapes and vape products to ensure the safety to the consumer, they can't get cartridges. Or there's going to be a delay in getting cartridges from China due to due to the uh, proliferation of corona coronavirus uh, in China. So now they're getting hit by a double whammy, which was, you know, it's gonna be tough. But what we're hearing on a contrarian or a positive side is that people are still participating in cannabis. They're just moving more to flour than uh, from vape and they're moving more to edibles. So they're just changing their delivery uh, where it's more safe. Uh, But this all goes back to, I believe, there needs to be some certification and testing for the consumer so that they can look for an emblem or something on the packaging to ensure that they have safety in the products that that they are consuming. Uh, And we are working with and speaking to testing and um, certification labs that are are trying to get a standardized uh, emblem or, or some way to provide the consumer comfort that what they are ingesting or smoking is safe for them and has been tested.
1: You know, the, <clears throat> when most people think of investment banks, they think of probably two or three things that you guys do, right? You take public companies public, you facilitate mergers and acquisitions. Um, the taking companies public has been a challenge, especially for U.S. investment banks, because you can't list a, a, a U.S. company that touches the plant on either the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. And the CSE has been great. As a locus for capital for the last few years, um, and we we love Richard Carleton. Um, you know the NEO has been interesting, the OTC has been interesting. Um, sticking with the the capital raising in the IPO market, do you have any idea when the the major exchanges, the the New York, the Nasdaq, or even the Toronto, are going to start to to loosen up and allow companies to list? because the, the lack of access to this capital is really choking off the development of this industry.
2: Uh, no doubt. We need states' rights or, or some some sort of guidance from the federal government to allow them to check the box that, uh, that there's no potential issues uh, with RICO or, or some sort of uh, potential um, concern related to uh, federal... Uh, litigation or or criminal activity that they could be potentially been engaged in as a result of supporting the cannabis industry. And that's my view, and they're going to be very conservative because also understand that we're also dealing, and it gets bucketed to some extent into other vices, whether it be uh, gun manufacturers, alcohol, uh, and tobacco, um, which some some just frankly some investment funds and and banks won't even touch those industries given uh some of the social issues associated with those uh industries now what's different between us and alcohol tobacco and firearms is that i don't i don't i don't know of any medical application in any of those uh industries that cures uh epilepsy or helps with migraines or has the pharma and medical attributes that we have uh, associated with our industry
3: proven not to kill people
1: (laughs) or has the endocannabinoid system associated with it so that your body is actually designed to to use the 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 medicine in the plant right i mean it's it doesn't work that way there's no alcohol cannabinoid system like you drink you're going to hurt your liver eventually and your brain it doesn't, it just doesn't work. From a banking perspective, you know, the, 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 the farm act changed a lot of things from a CBD um, versus THC perspective. How are you seeing institutional investors look at that, the, 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 the hemp and CBD space versus a THC space?
2: That's very uh, interesting as well. And a very good question. So we were just talking to another. That's two. Uh, <laughs> we were talking to a uh, one of the larger extractors of cbd uh because and we're also talking you know i come from a traditional universe i, I did private equity coverage for a number of years so i talked to the kkr's the paulos uh the aries and Leonard greens of the world and you know we're, we're talking about uh cbd and they're all trying to get their heads around one it's Uh, They're looking for uh, something with scale. In our industry, as you know, there's not really scaled um, mature businesses, right? The largest company uh, on the THC side or very large companies is 150 or 200 million of revenue, right? Which is, you know, not very big relative to a, a traditional industry. So uh, they're looking for scaled opportunities, so they're looking at extractors uh, who, who potentially have, you know, 50 to 75 million of revenue, and they they went out to these, uh, these folks, and what they got back was they're all for it until they get to their investment committees, and their investment committees are saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, FDA hasn't approved this for consumption, for beverage and um, food, and as a result, it's not legal uh, from an FDA perspective. And to the extent that you're selling CBD into consumables, you're essentially uh, engaging in illegal behavior and we can't get behind that. So we're not ready to invest. So again, we need some clarity. uh, And there was a a bill sponsored in the house, as you know, that at least moves uh, hemp and CBD outside of um, medical and into a supplement. Such that we can accelerate the FDA approval process, so we could have a you know a a healthy, at least CBD hemp market. And shockingly, uh, in the House, the two uh, the bipartisan bill was sponsored by two uh, representatives from the state of Kentucky. And shockingly, McConnell needs hemp uh, to help with his tobacco uh, farmers. So you can see McConnell needs a lot of things. (laughs) So, uh, so you can see where this is going and, and, you know, that's, that makes me optimistic that this is going to get into the Senate. It's going to be brought up by the Senate and we'll be able to move and accelerate the FDA approval process. So we have a large end market, at least for hemp CBD. uh, So that market could get opened up to a full, uh, a, a full pool of investors. And then once people get into Hemp CB, my expectation is they're going to quickly cross over and see all the benefits of that, uh, of the cannabinoid, and then quickly uh, feel comfortable about moving into THC.
3: Herschel, we have two more questions for you. And the next question is always asked by Lewis, but I'm stealing it from him. Um, thief! Thief! <laughs> We uh, always ask people, you know, because we talk to so many entrepreneurs, um, can you tell us about a failure um, that, that you've had, uh, you know, in business and I guess a failure in anything where you've learned from it um, and it's basically shaped who you are today and helped you ultimately with your success?
2: Really good question. And I appreciate you putting uh, me on the spot related to this. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so where's your biggest fuck up? <laughs> you
3: still had to ask it, didn't you, Lewis You couldn't let I me did, have it. I did. Couldn't you do it. just let me have it.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ish.
2: So, um, so I'll, 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 you know, uh, I'll answer it in, uh, in the way uh, that I think uh, Besh What I think you're getting at is, is, what event has shaped me the most relative to my career and and where I sit today, and and you know what trial. The tribulations have you gone through uh, in relation to that so look I, I will say um, and and it gets a little personal so uh, so so uh, bear with me uh, but when I you know I went uh, I had a really good career and I uh, did really well in school at University of Texas my undergrad went to Ernst and Young was on top of the world, uh, went to get my NDA at UCLA Anderson in 2002. And at that time, um, we were going through the dot-com uh, bubble and I was uh, trying to get into investment banking, had never experienced any kind of roadblocks or situations that were uh, of an issue to me. Um, and during that uh, recruitment process, uh, I essentially uh, wasn't offered a uh, summer internship at a, at a large, uh, Uh, bulge bracket banks and wasn't really getting a lot of headway into the banking industry and people were telling me uh, that I should go back to accounting that things weren't going to work out the industry is just too difficult today and and really um, just bad timing and and uh, good luck to you and you know that was a uh, you know a hit on me Um, and then I had two options at that point I could you know, I, I consider dropping out of my uh, MBA program and going back to uh, Ernst and Young, or, you know, trudging forward. And, and in trudging forward, you know, there would be, you know, uh, no, uh, no guarantees, I would say. You know, I could come out of my MBA, still not have a job, and end up in uh, accounting, and that whole uh, two years would have been what I would have uh, thought of as a failure. So, uh, I, you know, I did an assessment of myself at that time, and and made and made the decision that no, I was going to uh, see it through and do whatever I could to ensure uh, that I made made an investment banking and and was able to get into the industry. So, at that time, I took uh, some free uh, internships. I looked to canvass the whole. Uh, investment banking landscape and i was fortunate enough to get a internship where i worked for free uh, during the summer and that translated into uh, helping uh, some friends of mine start a their own investment bank in my second year of my mba uh, where again i was working 40 hours with them starting their investment bank and going and getting my mba and ultimately the uh, the finance industry came back at the end of 04, and I was able to secure an interview at uh, DLJ LA, which became Credit Suisse LA. And I told them my story and how much I'd worked uh, in order to get this next, this opportunity to interview with them. And, you know, it hit, it translated. I uh, I was fortunate enough, they hired me. Uh, when I came out of school, I went to credit Suisse, uh, LA and I spent 10 years there and, you know, got off to a great start to my career. And I, I thank them for giving me that opportunity and, you know. You know, sticking by me, uh, during the time when, you know, I was, you know, kind of a little down and out and, you know, canvassing world. So I came to canvassing myself and, you know, I look back on that and that really. It, it made me being in investment banking and the things that I do um, mean more to me. And, you know, this is the next iteration of that. You know, I'm coming into cannabis. Uh, I'm a early adopter. Uh, we're all taking uh, risks here. Uh, I think what you're hearing in the industry is a lot of us are took a step back in pay, uh, took a step back in potentially career to really um, be a steward for an industry that, Uh, we're all hopefully fundamentally believe in uh, for all the reasons that we described as well as the opportunities uh, that afforded uh, with a, you know, a growing industry that I think is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So um, yeah, so hopefully that answers your question Uh, a little uh, personal and I, you know, did a lot of work on myself during that time and I'm happy uh, that I had that, Um, you know, I, I, I had to meet some challenges and, you know, I carry that uh, with me today and, and everything I look at, you know, to get my best foot forward as I go into uh, anything I do.
3: Lewis, don't you wish we could just real quick, don't you wish in, we could fast forward just for a second, 10 years and go back and ask all of our guests that same question about cannabis and see, like, I wonder what the, how the answers would oh, be. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I,
1: I, I, it's my favorite question because, yeah. it, it's, you know, it reveals so much about you as a person, right? I mean, we don't tend to have people who are on on the show who are failures, right? So you, if you're, if we're talking to you, you are successful in some way, and to get to be a success, you have to have gone through adversity, and figuring out how to work your way through that adversity is definitional. And for the people who are listening, you know, the goal is to say we all have made mistakes. How do you pick yourself up? dust yourself off and keep moving forward is how you become successful in life. And it's whether you're 50 years old or 15 years old, you know, the, I really think these lessons are important and I really appreciate you being transparent um, and putting your feet up on the couch and, and, you know, let, letting fly. fly. Um,
2: and we so won't I'm, even
3: bill you for it.
2: Oh, I'm billing you for it. Are you kidding me? I'm totally billing you for this. <laughs> right, get, get in mind uh, my therapist builds uh, me every other week so
1: alright last question and then we'll let you go because you've been really generous with your time um, what is the single story the single thing about cannabis that is the most underreported the thing that you wish the Wall Street Journal were talking about or that business week or that marijuana today was talking about what is the story that we're all missing that you are so excited about
2: look my most exciting uh or or the place that i get most excited related to cannabis is really um solving two issues one is the opiate crisis and and social injustice so uh on the opiate crisis and and not only from a hospice perspective but uh, from any kind of pain management perspective being able to have a drug uh, that doesn't uh, have some of the addiction addictive uh, qualities of opiates that will help manage either hospice end of life and and allow you to be with your family or manage you know we have a colleague here who had um, a knee replacement surgery and he was getting concerned about opiates so he uh, moved over to cannabis, and that's been helping him sleep. But having that uh, alternative um, uh, treatment option uh, to me uh, is 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 substantial and and can mean a lot uh, to the communities that are uh, that are heavily affected uh, by opiates. And in addition, uh, we're seeing CBD treatment kits. Uh, to help people come off of of opiates, so you know I think that's underreported. And then, and then lastly, look from a if people can't get behind that from a, jo- a social justice uh, reform area, the fact that there's twice as much incarceration uh, related to cannabis is is in, in and of itself um, unfair in, in a, in and and a and socially. Uh, inequity, but also, I don't think people understand the ramifications. So, I come from Florida, and to the extent you have a felony, you can't vote. So, you basically neutered an entire generation of, um, of people. They just fixed and... that. No, <laughs> you haven't been following. Oh. They did fix it <laughs> by 65% vote but the uh, the great Governor of Florida has now said, uh, to the extent that you have any outstanding uh, oh
3: right. but, uh, uh, fees uh, or yeah,
2: so uh, payments or anything yeah. with the federal yeah. government, you got to pay them out, off and 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 then only then you can get right. um, you could have voting control. so or voting back. so it it really is a mechanism to uh, to hurt uh, the vote and and uh, to neuter uh people's ability to to effectuate change and from that perspective it also doesn't get enough um news headlines so so look i i I get everybody you know the wacky tobacco tobacco you know my father's 85 and he doesn't get it it took me a long time to tell him about cannabis and the stigmas of cannabis and 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 i get that being a headline but really they don't do enough related to those. At least those two areas were really the, the drug, uh, the cannabis, the plant has, you know, real um, meaningful effects in society and, and, and to people that goes beyond just say, you know, a recreational, another, you know, vice or, you know, gateway drug uh, that, you know, some of the older generation have come to associate with cannabis.
3: Herschel, for people who want to learn more about what you guys are doing at LO Capital, where can they find you?
2: Sure. Uh, www.locapital.com. We got links uh, to, to the website as well as uh, I have a LinkedIn page, uh, Herschel Gerson uh, at LO Capital. Feel free to reach out to me on uh, LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, we're really uh, excited to be in the industry and be stewards of the industry and really bring professionalism to the industry.
3: Well, thank you so much. Yes, I'm going to go get a Twinkie right now. (laughs) I did did take more. I I did take more from this conversation, though. But yeah, the net net is I'm going to get a Twinkie.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Our thanks to Herschel Gerson, CEO and Managing Director at LO Capital. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at V underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the green rush underscore podcast or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com we love 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 your feedback and guest ideas Uh, and don't forget to subscribe to the green rush in your favorite podcatcher and hey lewis we forgot to talk about the fact that we have reached a hundred thousand downloads so thank you 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 one take shay one take
1: This. best!